Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline from Peoria, it's Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. Uh, Ryan, how's it going? How's Arizona? Uh, it's not too bad. You know, it's not real warm, I guess, for Arizona standards, but I'll take, you know, about 60 at no rain. Yeah, some nice sun over the winter weather up in Seattle. Uh, hey, yeah. we've uh, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about some of the new rules, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But I am curious about your own perspective on it. What do you think about the introduction of the pitch clock um, uh, and about the other three rules that uh, MLB is rolling out this year? Well, as a writer, I like the idea of games going quicker, uh, you know, the pace of the game going a lot faster. I watched some games down in Tacoma with the pitch clock, and I just felt like there was, uh, you know, the game moved along a little quicker. You know, there, there's guys like Diego Castillo, or do you remember that guy, James Karinchek from the, the uh, Guardians who played with his hair, you know, he had all those nervous oh, tricks yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it was like 45 seconds between every pitch. So it's, you know, I, I do think that that's going to be better. You're going to see the pace get better. Um, the lack of shifts, I, I think it'll be good. You know, I, I thought it, would, it had gotten to the point where being a little absurd with how much shifting was being done. Um, and, you know, just all those little things, you know, the ba- I don't know, the bases seem weird, but the lack of pickoff throws and stuff like that, it, anything to kind of speed it up and make the game a little bit more, um, I don't know, just a little more action-based at times uh, is good for fans. I mean, like as a purist, as a guy that you know grew up playing baseball, you know, it doesn't feel like that when you're playing. But at the same time, players will adjust. And, you know, the pace of it, I think they'll end up liking actually more than they think. Ryan, when I coached high school football, there was a time where I didn't have any communication with the players a couple months. They'd come back, and the first thing I would do is size them up. Be like, who lost weight? Who gained weight? Who looks healthy? Who doesn't? Is there anybody who's done any transformation when it comes to their body? Anybody who looks a bit more mature, a bit more slim? Oh, yeah. Well, Robbie Ray looks a lot more slim. I wrote about it today in the paper. You know, his his trademark jean shorts are not quite as uh, painted on as they usually are. Um, you know, he still found a way to make his pants look tighter, but he's he's trimmed down some. Marco Gonzalez, I bet you, has lost 20-some pounds. Um, he just, you know, he cut his hair. He looks like he's about 12 years old. He joked that he's the new prospect in camp, but he looks more athletic. You know, Marco teased him because he, you know, he had a kid a couple of years ago, so maybe he's developed in a little bit of a dad bod. But, you know, he he, re, he changed that thinking really quickly. And he came in, and I think for him, when you're lighter and you're, you feel more athletic, you know, his is about command and repeating his delivery and, and being pinpoint. I think that's only going to help him. Uh, you know, his his wife, Monica, she was a, she ran track at Gonzaga. And like, she's an issue. So I'm sure it wasn't difficult for him to, uh, to shed the weight. But, like, yeah, he looks really good. You know, some of the other guys, it's, it's hard to say, you know, I, I mean, like there are some big kids and, you know, they all seem, they all seem in a lot better shape than the writers do. That's for certain. <laughs> uh, hey, sticking with Marco for a minute, I, he's really interesting to me uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is that I, I didn't fully expect that he'd be on the roster still. I thought they might trade him or certainly flex in. And many people thought that and they didn't end up doing that. Maybe the trade market didn't evolve the way that they thought it would, but, but here he is and, and still a useful part of your rotation. Um, but we're not really talking a lot about him, Ryan. I mean, do you see him, 
him taking another step forward in his career this year? Do you see him potentially not being here? I mean, what do you see for Marco in 2023? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, you never know if him and Flexen will make it through spring and one of them will get traded. I mean, you look what happened with the the Yankees. They have some some guys, you know, they had uh, Frankie Montas go down, so they need a they need a guy right now. Um, so maybe that's a move they make. But Marco, his value as a fifth starter, you know, he's not expected to be, you know, he's not going to be like the other guys and just out there dominating. But there is value in being out there 30 times and taking the ball and not being hurt. And, you know, for whatever, you know, last year wasn't great for him, but he, he they were competitive in most of his starts. You know, he had some bad luck and a couple of them, like he lost the game where they had the brawl. He lost one nothing. You know, there was a couple other ones where he had some tough luck. I think he still can be valuable. You know, and if you look at what he used to be over the, you know, prior to 2020, even 2020, 2019, 2018, he was a roughly a three war pitcher. That's not that's not a bad thing to get from your number five guy in the rotation. So I, I do think yeah that it should be interesting. I think he's, you know, given kind of what he does and how he does it. If he has the right command, he can be very effective in this rotation, especially because the Mariners' defense is pretty good as well. All right, I'm going to ask you to be a sports psychologist right now. Uh, <laughs> Tramel is out six to seven weeks, and I asked Stacey this question the other day. Go, what does this do to Jared Kelly? Does it take pressure off of him when him feeling, okay, I'm in a spot now where if I just play some good baseball, I'm good to go? Or does it put even more pressure on him? Like, I better play well now because Trammell is, is hurt. From what you know of, of Jared Kelnick, what do you think his approach is here? I think, you know, I think he's in a better place. You know, and, and me, it's kind of me playing psychologist would be, is interesting because I'd like be the perfect case study for a psychologist. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, I think he's in a better place mentally. Honestly, with Trammell, I, I never I think they want Jared to be that guy there. You know, I think given his prospect pedigree and the potential that he has, I think they want him to do it. I think Jared understands that too. He believes he should be there. So I don't know that he's going to get caught up in the day-to-day results or, you know, worry about whether or not, you know, they're expecting so much from him. He, he just got to learn that the day-by-day and the results of each at bat you got to wash him away. I think sometimes he gets caught up in that. And Mariners swear that that's been better, that he has a better understanding of what he wants to do and how to handle failure. We'll, we'll see, you know, but it is spring training, so the results don't necessarily matter. But I think he's in a pretty good spot mentally. Um, you know, the one thing is, is they're, they're doing everything they can to set him up to succeed, you know, by having the platoon, by doing the things that they're doing. They're not going to put him in positions that maybe they did a year or two ago where, you know, it just was – wasn't he wasn't ready for any of that i think he's better equipped to handle all the stuff that they're going to do and they're not going to do as much to him uh all right we know there's the platoon in left field and they've kind of got to get that settled or figure out you know who they're really going to lean on there and those guys will probably cycle through all year long depending on who the starter is for the other team but um ryan where are some of the other position battles uh happening here in spring training if there are any yeah, I don't really see very many. I mean, like if if everybody stays healthy, I don't see you know um, really any position battles. Maybe the maybe a spot or two in the bullpen who fills Eric Swanson's role, kind of in that middle leverage position. Do they try and carry a lefty in the in the bullpen? There's that you know maybe the last spot in the bullpen would be the main one. But you know you look at the rest of it. I guess you know if, if Tommy Listella is is banged up or looks really bad, then maybe they. 
they reopen up a, a utility player position for somebody, you know, they're expecting him to be good. They're expecting him to be kind of that backup to Ty France and, and a Eugenio Suarez. But if he just doesn't have it this spring, maybe they, they shift or pivot. You know, and, and they could look around, like maybe if Jared isn't playing well this spring or if they're, they're running the risk of they feel like they're a bat short when they look at their lineup or what they're seeing, maybe they go and get a guy. You know, Brian Reynolds is still out there. That situation in Pittsburgh seems untenable with how, you know, he still wants to be gone and he's still there. So I, mean, I, I don't think Jerry ever stops looking at ways to try and like kind of manipulate the roster or tweak the roster on the fringes to get better, but you know, right now, I don't know that there's any ton of position battles. The one we had was kind of Taylor Trammell and Jared Kelnick, and that ended before it started. But mm-hmm. so that could change. Like, if somebody goes down for, you know, if you recall a few years ago, Kyle Seeger came back. He was in outstanding shape, and he took a funny, you know, he made a funny fall on his wrist and, you know, ended up having to have surgery on his finger or whatever and, and was out for the first two months of the season. So that can happen down here. But as of now, I don't see anything that's like, oh, yeah, there's – three guys battling out for this, which is kind of boring for us in the long run. (laughs) Hey, how much pressure is on JP and just the coaching staff as well? They clearly stood by this man. They said, look, we're not going to go after some of these big name shortstops. He's coming off a year where started the season hot. The bat was cool, but then the glove fizzles off. The bat is not really working. He's gone back and he's working on some things. Um, How much pressure do you think it is on the organization for JP to succeed and then on JP himself? Yeah, I mean, I, there is some pressure because they invested $50 million in him, too. You know, they signed him to the contract extension and said, hey, you're going to be with us for a while. They need him to be better. They need him to be a little bit more productive at the plate, you know, in terms of getting on base and being a more, more viable hitter. Uh, you know, the, the defensive stuff last year, you know, I wouldn't say it's unacceptable, but he even kind of just said that that's not who I am. And he admitted that he, you know, made some mistakes on routine balls. I think part of that was a function of not being very healthy. He was beat up a lot last year. You know, he made the mistake of diving head first into first base on a play and hurting his back. And I think that bothered him throughout the second half of the season. He had some knee issues. He was really dinged up. And that's part of it is like, how do you, you know, you're never going to feel 100% after about the first week or two of season. But how do you get close to that? How do you feel better so you can perform? Part of it is like his swing is really long. And you know what? When you're not 100%, your swing is long. You're not going to be able to generate that. Make contact. If you look at his numbers against the fastballs, they're not very good. And he just doesn't hit them very hard. He fouls them off or he doesn't hit them very hard. And that's, that's a problem. You know, so he's got some work to do. I think he's very driven and very motivated to be better. You know, I know he wasn't satisfied with what happened last year individually, but yeah, they need that, you know, and there is no help down the road. I mean, like the shortstop class that, that they could have, you know, went into to, to add to the team, that's gone. They're all signed contracts now, no opt out. So there isn't any immediate help. Like you look at the free agent class next year, it's not very good. Um, and so, you know, they have to figure out, he has to figure out a way to be a contributor beyond just an emotional leader. He's got to be more consistent at the plate and in the field. And I think he can do that. He's certainly capable of it. And much of it will rely on health and just being, you know, feeling closer to 100% than what he did last season. What are the reasons that you think that they've held out from uh, from spending big in free agency? Because I'm assuming there are several different reasons, whether it's fit, whether it's payroll, whatever. But from your point of view, Ryan, when you look at uh, the moves they've made, what do you think is driving a lot of that? I mean, there, there is some fit and there's, you know, payroll. It isn't so much like I, I don't think they're afraid to spend. 
but they're just not willing to spend on like go past the yeah. they're not willing to overspend on a market you know what i'm saying like like they know that they have to pay a little bit more for position players to come here maybe 20 percent. so if 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 Xander Bogarts is getting 11 years or 12 years at 300 million, the Mariners don't necessarily want to go, you know, 12 years at 320 million. Like that just, that doesn't seem to make sense in the short term or the long term, you know, whether or not. And I think that's part of it. I don't know that they necessarily had interest from these guys, you know, unless they were willing to spend 350 million. You know, you know with Carlos Correa, it was, yeah, you know, if you spend the most money, he's probably going to go there. And then, you know, I thought they should have probably re-entered the market when it was clear he was only going to get five or six years. Um, but, yeah, I, I just didn't think that, like, the way it fit last year, they needed outfield help. There wasn't outfield help other than Aaron Judge. Like, you know, they got a better player in Teoscar Hernandez than what was left on the market. Yeah, they had to give up prospects to get it, but I think he's better than what Brandon – he has the potential to be better than what Brandon Nimmo is or what Andrew Benintendi is and help him more. You know, you only get him for one year. But, yeah, I didn't see anything like free agent-wise that perfectly fit, other than maybe if they could have made a run at Josh Bell or somebody like that to have like a DH type, more of a DH type. But they don't want to do that either. So it's like their philosophies and their need didn't necessarily match up with the free agent in the market, other than the shortstop spot, and they just been very adamant. But I, you look at the shortstop, so I never thought Trey Turner had a chance to trade Turner or, um, you know, Correa, for the most part, I didn't think that, that was really a fit. And Bogarts, I didn't know, you know, like they tried to go on Trevor Story. And maybe that's the thing, too. Is they went, they were in deep on Trevor Story last year. You look what he did last year, and now he's hurt, and he's going to probably miss a bunch. Um, yeah, there is some cautionary tales. But at the same time, you look at the roster and what they have now, I don't necessarily see a division winner on it. That's for certain, because the offense is still back. Hey, Ryan, how – how aggressive do you think they're going to allow Julio to be with base running this year? You just paid the young fella. You're going to want him to be healthy. But I feel like him stealing bases is such a, an advantage and a big part of his game. Do you expect them to taper him down a bit or allow him to, to do what he did last year? No, I think he's going to have the green light to go when he wants. You look at the, the rule changes and, you know, the limitations of pick off the first base, only two, you know, what they call is disengaging the rubber uh, where you just can't throw over the first twice, um, the bigger bases, all this stuff. I think he's going to have a little bit more, even more free reign. You know, the one thing is, is he's got to learn to stay healthy, you know, and if he's not feeling it that day, sliding or running or doing those things, maybe isn't the best idea. Because, like, we were just talking to him about it today. We talked with Julio today and, you know, talked to Scott Service about it. He played only in 125 games last year. And you throw out the first 25 where he was in April where he didn't do a whole lot. So he did a lot of his damage you know, in roughly 100 games. So what would it be like if you got that version of Julio over the 100 games for 150 games, even with streaks, you know, or even with slumps? I mean, that's a that's that's a really good player, and that's the biggest thing I think that he needs to really improve upon, and it's kind of difficult to do because there's a lot of flukes, and it was just find a way to be on the field. Yeah, The numbers and the production will come if he's on the field. All right, he is Ryan Divish. Make sure you are reading his work, his coverage from Peoria on the Seattle Times and seattletimes.com. Thanks so much, Ryan.
Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, see you guys. All right. Again, thank you to Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times for joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. This hour of Bump and Stacy brought to you by Advanced Hair Restorations. Get to some X's and O's. Football talk, four down territory now. This, this is four down territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game. What former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down. New Broncos head coach Sean Payton says he's going to use the rugby scrum as long as it's allowed. Would it be fair for the NFL to ban the play the Eagles were so successful using this year? NFL, don't do it. Don't do it. I realize the Eagles had like a 90% success rate on that thing. 36 of 40. Crazy. In the NFL, they converted it every time they ran a quarterback sneak. They were good to go. The origins come from rugby. That's where football comes from. And I I love that there's still a piece of old school football in this game. It was made legal in 2005, 2013 in college. And we haven't had any complaints until now. It's almost like, you are so good at this and no one else is doing it. We're going to punish you for being How that good no at it. no one else done it? It's existed for 13 years, I, right? I bet they're going to do there? it next year. You hear yeah. Sean Payton talking about that he's going to do it. So, no, I don't think it's fair that the NFL is contemplating this. I think you give it a few more years. It, it gets to a point where the, there's no way for the defense to defend it. Then I understand. There's only one team that's had this type of success doing it. That's the Eagles. Now's not the time. Sean Payton, everyone else in the NFL, I said you just go crazy with the QB sneaks this year. Then the NFL is forced to do something about it. I think they got to stick with it. Second down. Bryce Young expected to be the number one overall pick, but the Bears have the number one overall pick and Justin Fields should they trade number one overall. All right, this has only happened 12 times since 1967. The last time the number one pick was traded was 2016. The Rams jump up to get Jared Goff. Now, here are potential buyers. You got the Texans, the Colts, the Raiders, and the Panthers. But... Justin Fields. He had some improvement this year, right? So you get that number one pick, you would assume you're going quarterback sure. if you do have that pick. But Justin Fields, his QBR has jumped up 20 points. He rushed for 1,000 yards last year. But they were 32nd when it comes to throwing the football. These Bears, this is where the Bears need help. They were 32nd against everything, it seems like, this Bears defense. They led the NFL. Well, they lead the NFL with the most salary cap. So they got some things to do. This is what should happen. The Colts should try to move up. They should give up their number four pick, the number 35 pick. The Colts will get a quarterback. Houston will get a quarterback. You think Arizona would go defense. That will leave Chicago with the fourth pick, and you're going to get a defender. Then you still have the 35th and the 53rd pick. I think they have to trade that pick unless unless they are looking to ship Justin Fields out and grab a quarterback. Uh-huh. I think they should stick with Justin Fields. But move that pick, man. Go get you a defender. Work it out. Would you want Justin Fields in Seattle? <sighs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. Third down. Is it fair that the NFL finds C.J. Gardner-Johnson for that hit on Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco? Look, he lit my guy up. Lit him up. But he did lead with the crown of his helmet. He did get some shoulder in there, but he did get the top of that that forehead in there, and it was a violent hit. Here's the thing that bothers me, and we were talking about it off air. You lost the Super Bowl. You go home. You're sulking for a while. Nursing your wounds. You get that. You get that. That knock on the door from FedEx or they ring your doorbell and leave. However they do it, where, where I'm from, they, they knock on the door and dip. You get that that FedEx envelope and there's a fine in there. <laughs> really? For like $14,000 or something like that. And you're like, goodness, insult to injury. At least just do it as soon as you can. Should he have been fined for that? Probably because it wasn't, it wasn't a safe type of hit. Just the timing of it is all messed up. You deserve yeah. the fine, but the timing of it, NFL. NFL does not care about your feelings. They at really all. don't. They were like, hey, we're so sorry this happened to you. You owe us $50,000. <laughs> Fourth down. All right, let's get to the Seahawks.
Seahawks here. Who do you think will have the biggest boost in production for the Seahawks in 2023? I think the biggest boost is going to come from that tight end room. These tight ends had themselves a decent year. No offense, 63 catch, excuse me, 50 catches for 486 and four touchdowns. Uncle Will Disley, 38 for 349 and three touchdowns. I'm looking at Colby Parkinson. He had 25 receptions for 322 and two touchdowns. I think that when you get into the red zone, you get into the uh, the opponent side of the field and more, this guy's going to become more of a target. I love the way he progressed this year. He became a blocker. He put on some weight. I believe he scored the first touchdown of the 2022 season against the Denver Broncos. I think he's going to become a better route runner. Overall, Noah Fan is the more explosive tight end mm-hmm. when it comes to making plays, but I think Colby Parkinson has an advantage. He's just big and he's tall. You can toss it up to him. If you bring Geno Smith back, Geno loves working the seams. He loves working in the middle of the field. That's where Kobe Parkinson can shine. So I say two or three hundred more yards. I think he's up there. If you can get Noah Fan, imagine Noah Fan around 500. You get Colby Parkinson around 500. Right. You get both of them four to five touchdowns. This offense is moving. You add a dynamic. I'm looking at Kobe Parkinson and I'm saying, go get it, young fella. Well, Noah Fan, a former first round pick, like you have talent there. Why do you think that Shane Waldron finally tapped into tight ends? Is it, is it his background as a tight end and a tight ends coach? Is it Geno Smith's ability to target the middle of the field? Is it them having the right group of tight ends? I mean, what played the biggest factor? D. All the above. All of the above. Shane Waldron coached the tight end. She got three ballers out there. The offense works the middle. It's all set up for the big boys to work. All right. Well, an NFL superstar is going to be hosting Saturday Night Live on March 4th. We'll tell you who it is next. Plus, the Kraken had Flyers head coach John Tortorella down bad after last night's blowout win. You'll want to hear this. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy bringing you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline. We are hitting the NHL. We're hitting the NFL. We're hitting MLB. Uh, we're hitting a new feature documentary on ESPN. We also got an injury update for you for the Mariners. So let's get started with the Kraken. The Kraken had Flyers head coach John Tortorella or Curtis, as they say in Italian, Tortorella. down bad after last night's blowout win. Take a listen. Feel this one compared to your last performance against the Kraken you have the answer to that last game you mentioned you mentioned exhaustion structure some of the reasons that you guys you you don't need me for the stories well I guess no not really because we don't know I guess what you were saying in the room what the plan was well I'm not gonna it doesn't do me any good to tell you what's going on in the room right now he said he's not too concerned about fans right now so I guess what would you tell the fans I'm not too concerned about the fans right now I'm concerned about the hockey team which like fair but then he doubled down on refusing to talk about that team I guess after several of them you said you still didn't mind the effort um I guess how is this Gianna, changing? That? I'm, I'm not going to give you any. Don't you get it? It's, there's no sense in me giving you information. I am not going to talk about my hockey team after a performance like this. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do the team any good. That, those are the people I'm most concerned about. Hey, John, no offense, but that's kind of part of the gig, my guy. 
Like, I know that it doesn't feel good in the moment, and I never blame players for being emotional in post-game interviews, so I should apply the same logic to coaches who are also going to be emotional in post-game interviews. But anytime I see a head coach, the difference being that they're like 30, 40 years older than their players, disrespecting a reporter whose job it is to go in there and ask you the simplest questions. And mostly it's a team reporter whose job it is to be like, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to come up and get sound of like, hey, how'd you feel you guys did tonight? Your easy answer, hey, you know what? Not great. We're going to get back at it tomorrow and uh you know that's that's honestly all i have for you tonight it's it's uh, it's all i can really share with you but we know that we have to be better that's it it's so easy that's all you have to say instead you're like rude to this person for just trying to do her job in his defense he's frustrated sure they got they got they, they got smacked he's not happy with his team right now <laughs> but in reality you knew this was coming after every game you have to talk to the press and if you don't feel comfortable doing that. Go all the cliches that you want to go. Hey, you know what? One game at a time. We'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. You got to reevaluate yep. and, and, and fix some things. It's It puts reporters in a tough spot. Uh, but um, I feel for the young lady who was uh, a- asking those questions, and he clearly knows her. She knows him. There's some type of relationship. So because of that, because you're covered by the same people or the bulk of your, the people you talk to are the same people, there should be some kind of human courtesy and some respect yeah, like, to hey, be I'm like, sorry. all right, well, I'm not going to make her job that much di- that much more difficult. Uh, but, again, people also forget that these are humans. He's not going to respond the correct way all the time. I just feel for the young lady asking the question. See, that's who I feel for in this case. Like with him, it's like, yeah, I feel for you. It's a really tough loss, but your job is going to include some really tough losses, right? Everyone's job is going to come with room for mistake. And you understand upon getting into that job that you're going to have some really bad days. He understands upon getting into this job that he's going to have some really bad games where the other team, in this case, the Kraken just absolutely whoops your behind, right? Six to two, that final for this one. And the Kraken also beat them last time, but, I think what really you know, rubs me the wrong way sometimes with these interviews bump is every time I see them pop up on social, whether it's um, you know this uh, NHL head coach for the Flyers with John Tortorella, whether it's an NCAA football head coach, whatever, there's always this weird like ganging up on on the reporter for just doing their job. And most especially if it's like a young woman who's out there as a sideline reporter. I don't know. I always hate that look of being like, why is she asking these dumb questions? Because you want to know. Because you and Philly want to know, like, what's going on with this team? What are they going to do? Yeah, that, my my only thing with that is, if this is something he's known for doing, then it's an issue. If this is oh, a bad, he's done this. This is what he of does before. Just yeah, get All right, over well, it, my guy. I feel a bit different about him. And now he's been coaching in the NHL. He he's been a coach in the NHL for like four or five different teams over the course of like twenty something. He's years. known for being a rude dude yeah. after a loss, huh? Yeah. Mm, all right then. And I mean, her but bosses also, are just sending her down there, like, go get a yeah. quote. She's like, what do you want me to do? You're she knows it's coming, fire. too. Probably. Yeah, like, what? Just, you know, it, all you have to do is just say 30 seconds of nothing. Go generic. Go yeah. cliche. Go, what I would do, or, I'd be like, I'm not telling you anything. Or the Rasheed Wallace, both teams played hard. Yeah. Both yeah. teams played hard. You know what? Hey, we played a tough team, but I believe in our guys. We're going to figure it out. Like, That's all, right. all you got to say. That's all you got to say. And they'll leave you alone. Oh, man. Uh Let's talk about something funny here. At least, hopefully it will be. Maybe not. Travis Kelsey announced uh, on The Tonight Show that he will be hosting SNL on March 4th. We have a big announcement that you're going to announce here on the show tonight. I'm very excited about this. You're going to be back in our building in a few weeks. Can you say why you're coming back? Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up, um, I was a huge, like, Farley, uh, Farrell, Fallon um, (laughs) kind of guy growing up. And... um, 
Yeah, I used to watch Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live with my mother. And um, it's, a, it's an absolute honor and a, and a privilege to be uh, hosting SNL March 4th. Oh! What do you make of Travis Kelsey as uh, an SNL host on March 4th? Here's the thing about Travis Kelsey. Lots of personality. He's um, he's not afraid to be himself. But he's not particularly, like, funny to me. Like, he doesn't say anything to where I'm like, oh, that was funny. It's yeah. more just him yelling at the camera and saying how they felt disrespected. Thankfully, this is a production. They're going to make sure they write things for him and that they highlight his personality. I'm not excited for it. I don't really watch SNL that much anymore anyway. Uh, not excited. I don't think he's just going to be the best host of all time. But um, I think that he's going to lean into it. He's going to be 100% committed to the script and what they ask him to do. So for the people who do watch SNL religiously, maybe he puts on a good show for who you Who still watches SNL religiously? Because this show hasn't been consistently funny in a really long time. Everybody thinks the era that they watched SNL is the funniest era. Sure, ever. I probably think that too. Uh, but like, like, Yeah, our parents think like Bill Murray, that era was the funniest. And uh I just don't think Travis Kelsey is to the level of like star athlete that SNL usually has as a host. It's usually like Peyton Manning or I think Charles Barkley is hosted. Michael Jordan's hosted like Travis Kelsey to me is not a nationwide household name to the degree that those guys are. So it's an interesting choice, and like Bump said, he's just loud. Like that's he's not yeah, funny. He's, not he's loud. Funny. He's just a he's just kind of there. Like I'm, they'll write his script. They'll write his yeah. monologue. They're gonna have him do all his sketches. People will laugh because the bar is lowered when you're not a comedian doing this show. So they're gonna be like, "Hey, good for you, way to do it." But like, I don't get the perception of Travis Kelsey. He's likable, but I don't find him especially funny. Nah, I think um, George Kittle's funny. I laugh yeah. more at George Kittle than Kelsey. But you know what? It's all about personality, though. They will they will make sure there are some punchlines for you to hit, and the scenes are all good. And that's what I do think he will do, is he's yeah. not shy. He's going to lean into it. He'll give it 100%. 360 brings up a, a, a potentially likely scenario. They say Travis Kelsey's on Saturday Night Live likely because Patrick Mahomes turned them down. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes <laughs> is the level of celebrity. Yes. That yeah. normally ends up hosting and ter- from the sports world. Yep, and then they they should have maybe gone after. I guess you can't go after someone from the losing team. They're going to be like, I don't want to be on this stupid show right now. Nah. And all they're going to do is make fun of you losing the whole time. I too. know, that's the entire thing. I'd be like, it's too soon. It's too soon. The Super Bowl was less than a month ago. All right, next up in the timeline, let's head to MLB. And I've always said that if there was one superpower, the last superpower I'd want to have, it would be the ability to read minds. And that's kind of what Corbin Burns got into uh, going into arbitration, the arbitration process with the Brewers uh, when he said he was exposed to some opinions from the Brewers organization that he didn't especially love. There, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, there's there, there's really no way getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals and we're going to go out there and, and do our job and, you know, and keep giving what I can every five, every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that basically put me in the forefront of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know, we can go go about a hearing without having to do that. Um, so that's kind of one of those things. Obviously, you know, they, there was no attacking of, of character, of, you know, person of who I was, but um, just the, just the some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um, said is, is, is something that yeah, I think kind of disappointed everyone. 
Burns led the National League with 243 strikeouts, had a 12A record with a 2.94 ERA. I don't know that I would put him at the forefront of why the Brewers didn't make the postseason, but to hear your own team kind of hint that about you and be like, well, we don't want to pay this guy this much because of this. It's like, geez, after I gave my all to this organization, tell me how you really feel. Arbitration is one of the more fascinating things to yeah, me. Yeah, I agree. We were talking in the uh, the sports pit, Curtis and I, and um, he pointed out something that I think is true, that football players would probably not be able to handle that for the most part. I mean, they are pretty much poo-pooing <laughs> on all of your flaws, man, and saying, well, you don't do this, you can't do that. I could not imagine being in that situation and just having all – now you really think – they really understand or you understand what they think about you, like, precisely. And that's why you got that tone from my mans, dude. I'm not – Yeah. Uh, that's kind of – He was probably like, look, I won a Cy Young Award a year ago. Yeah. like, And I followed it up with a great season. Of course I'm deserving of this. And the Brewers are like, well, you don't do X, Y, and Z. Like, uh, where were you in 2018? Yeah. And, you know, you fell short that year. and. He's probably just like, are you kidding me right now? Mm. Like, I have been the only reason you guys have been competitive over the last few years. Yeah. uh, In terms of, like, sports, uh, other than baseball, where arbitration would not go over well, I'd put NFL number one, NBA number two, NHL third, I guess. Because, like, those guys, NFL players love to count their money. And if you are taking money away from them, mm-hmm. it is not a good sign. Well, no, because you only have a limited amount of years to earn yeah, compared exactly. to other leagues. Yeah. And then, like, the audacity uh, – do I call it understandable audacity? Like, what else are you going to say? But Brewers president of baseball ops, Matt Arnold, then said, like, hey, we'd like to reiterate, we view Corbin as one of the leaders of our franchise. We value him as an elite talent in the game. Like, it's you want to portray one thing publicly – and it, you have competing interests. The team wants as much talent for as little money, and uh, and Corbin wants to get his money. And yeah. I just think that you've at the you won the arbitration, but you I think forever damaged this relationship. So uh, last story here on the timeline, and then I got a quick injury update. ESPN announced they're coming out with a new docu series. Congratulations, baseball fans! You get to learn about. The History of the Yankees, produced by J.J. Abrams. It'll be called The Yankees Win. There's no date announced for the project yet. Let's hope there continues to be no date announced for yeah. the project. It's the Yankees won, is what it should That's be called. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> the Yankees, the Yankees win. 27 rings. We get it. Yeah. Yeah, What's the last one? What, 08? 09. You know what? I wouldn't currently put Yankees in number one most annoying fan base to me personally, but they mm. are a top five. Who's number one? Right now, personally, the Astros. Mm-hmm. But they are a new entry to that category within the last couple of years. It was the Yankees, certainly, for the bulk of my life. Red Sox, Patriots were in there once in a while, but they've kind of dipped. They're, they're out of there a little bit now that they're not as competitive. Cowboys. Time. Oh, yes. They're in there, too. Holy cow. Time for the IRG injury report brought to you by IRG Physical and Hand Therapy. Mariner Southfielder Taylor Trammell will be out six to seven weeks with a broken bone in his right hand. He'll have surgery to repair that. Expected to be back later this year. Hey, if you miss any part of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. The latest Seattle sports news is available right on your phone every single weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. You know what to do. Robert Turbin joining us top of the hour uh don't go anywhere bumping stacy powered through the alaska airline studios on seattle sports
here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. From Mike Greenberg of ESPN, a couple hours ago, I will make an argument for the last 25 years, there's been nothing in sports more compelling to watch than Tiger Woods playing golf, whether you love the sport or not. I'm going to throw in whether you love Tiger or not, too. I know he's not everyone's Mm -hmm. absolute favorite person, but what we're going to start with right now. Uh, round two of the Genesis Invitational in progress. Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas all playing. Bump, you have your phone up. You've been watching this all day yesterday. Well, since uh, noon mm-hmm. yesterday, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, and then today, uh, Tiger Woods, not bad. Uh, what do you shoot, uh, like 69? Yeah. Sorry, not bad, but, you know, the leader was at, at seven under. Right now he's one under. Started off couple pars, then a couple bogeys, and he got back to even, and then there was a par three that just whooped his butt. Um, so he's doing okay. Looks like he might make the cut. I think the cut is at plus one right now. He is one under. Typical Tiger Woods, man. He's a scrambler. He's not going to hit that many fairways. He's going to have to chip out from the rough and do all these Tiger Woods type of things. But Rory McIlroy is having himself a good round. He is five under. But we've seen some good shots from Tiger, man. He put one about, what, six inches away um, from the cup on a par three. Nice little tap-in birdie there. We've seen him uh, get up and down from some other places. So, mm-hmm. you know, not – and you got to have realistic expectations when you watch Tiger Woods play. Like, you would love for him to win these tournaments, but it's probably not going to happen. You're just watching to take in the last of Tiger Woods, and you want to see some great shots and just mm-hmm. see him make the cut. The last time he played was last July. I believe it was like the 16th or something, and he didn't make the cut. So you just want to see him get into the weekend, and then you never know what happens after that. Uh, obviously not in the top five right now, just as Bump said. McElroy is. He's five right now. Rom fourth. Uh, Mitchell one. Um, again, it's all subject to change. Round two, we're in the middle of it right now. Um, it's it's fascinating, man. It's something where like I don't really watch golf, as you know, uh, though I have plenty of friends and family who do love it. And there's something about when Tiger plays where and Tiger will do things that I don't especially love. Like I didn't love the look of him uh, giving. Uh, was it Justin Thomas? Giving Justin Thomas a tampon the other day? Like it was at was, first. It's, were you it offended? Cut, no, it was. It, it, I thought it was at first I was kind of funny and I was like, dang, Tiger. But then you kind of are like, oh, well, they're they're really of, close. Yeah. I don't think he would do that to any random him. And no, 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 no. Close. I, I'll say this. Uh, I never love the implication of like any kind of like feminine whatever being weak. That said, I love a joke with props. Mm-hmm. And I get that that's not the intent of his joke. The intent of his joke is to be like, I'm out driving you right now. Yeah, it's funny. Um, but. I know he's not everyone's favorite person. They're, you know, there is something, though, about every time he plays, people who know nothing about golf still tune in to watch. Yeah. And people who love golf still tune in, even knowing that he's not going to, you know what I mean? Like, really come out on top. Like, it's just there is something so universally appealing about him in a way that I haven't seen from I, I uh, maybe a handful of other athletes. Can you say the same thing? If Michael Jordan played in Ice Cube's Big Three tournament, everybody would tune in to yeah, watch him. Well, yeah, there's some dudes who just command your attention, and Tiger Woods is that guy. What what I'm noticing, or I'm wondering about Tiger Woods, is you know he's coming into this tournament fighting an ankle injury. Obviously, um, 
almost had to have that thing amputated um, mm-hmm. a year ago. Mm-hmm. And as the the tournament goes along, you see that limp come in even more and more. And what that does for him, is it changes his swing a little bit. So he's constantly adjusting during this whole tournament. Obviously, you have to walk. You cannot cart it like I do when I play some golf. Um, so he's battling through some things. But these are our last years seeing Tiger Woods compete, man, because sooner or later, He's either going to join the senior tour, which yeah. I really don't see him doing much of, because I think that when he's done, he's done. He's going to follow Charlie around the country, his son, and watch him play. It's uncanny, by the way, the resemblance with everything between them, their swings, their mannerisms. Yeah, the, the, that stuff's real. With my son, little Michael, yeah. he'll do some stuff. He'll do something dumb. And I'm like, I can't even get mad at you, dog, because I used to do me. the same thing when I <laughs> God, was your crazy. age. crazy. Speaking of, the last thing I wanted to introduce here, Curtis, you learned something new about fatherhood. Your daughter is, uh, Willa, is uh, she's under two or did yeah, she just turn two? two? So Bump's kids are a little bit older, and so once in a while you'll pop in uh, from the you know control room and you'll be like, hey, did your kids do this? And uh, you are just now dealing with having a child who wants to watch the exact same thing every single day. Yeah, Not won- show movie yeah she wants to watch frozen every single day and she's been doing it every single day for about the last week or so um which i'm very familiar with let it go uh anna and elsa and all them it's getting to a point though where it's like we gotta find something new (laughs) i think you just have to deal with it i mean i don't have kids but like bum said they're gonna get tired of it eventually eventually then it's gonna be something else i'm i'm hoping that day comes real quick weather the storm curtis (sighs) it's gonna be something else we believe in you you put in like two months of each movie that they just get hooked Uh. to Last thing, two seconds. Uh, from the 425, have you guys checked out the Netflix documentary Full Swing yet? I really want to watch this. So from the creators of uh, Formula One, uh, the Drive to Survive series, they created a golf series. And uh, there was this really fascinating article in GQ about them filming this mm-hmm. and not realizing at the time of filming that the, the Live Little Golf Tour yeah. would be created at the exact same time. So they are documenting people leaving the PGA for the Live Golf Tour. Uh, and it's I, I'm going to tune in to uh to check some of it out i think it just came out on valentine's day i'm gonna watch some of it this weekend are you gonna watch some of it i watched the first i fell asleep to the first episode last night so i I watched about half of it i didn't fall asleep because it was boring i fell asleep because it was a little too late it was like 11 o'clock and tune in and see what it's about yes it's it's good though i like it yeah i feel like i've heard good things so far if you guys have watched it with no spoilers let me know if it's uh, worth checking out this weekend and doing some binge watching here uh all right talking to nfl and seahawks with robert turbin he joins us next